Good evening, everybody. Thank you all so much for coming out. Tonight is the first night of the third annual Baltimore Podcast Festival. Very, very exciting. There's five great shows for you tonight. Uh, the first show we have this evening is called This is Catholic. Please make some noise and welcome This is Catholic, their first appearance. Hello, Baltimore Podcast Festival. Thank you to The Crown and to the Baltimore Podcast Festival for having us, and thank you all for joining us. My name is Emily Yanazelli, and this is Professor Jensen. And I call him Professor Jensen because we met in his biblical literature class when I was a student at Georgetown, but you could also call him Dr. Jensen because he has a PhD in biblical studies, or Deacon Jensen because he's a Roman Catholic deacon, but if you talk to him afterwards, he'll probably just tell you to call him Joe. Um, if you're not familiar with the podcast, This is Catholic is an exploration of what it really means to be Catholic today, and we do that by talking about the challenges of living out our faith and talking to people who are doing that in interesting and sometimes unusual ways. Um, this is our first ever live recording, and we're really excited to be doing this, um, and our first time at the Baltimore Podcast Festival. So while we don't usually focus on such heavy topics, today we're going to talk about the sex abuse crisis that's happening in the church. Maybe that's why the wise, wise schedulers at the Baltimore Podcast Festival had us go first. <laughs> um, and as much as I wish we could kick this off with something a little more light, and um, it's something that's been really like weighing on me and that I've been struggling with this summer, and um, we wanted to have a chance to talk about, to talk about it. Um, so I'm sure that you guys have all been like following the news or you know, it's hard to avoid it, but I kind of wanted to go over um, some of the highlights of the, the developments that have come out, like in recent and local news, just so that we're kind of to set the stage for our conversation. Um, so in June, Theodore McCarrick, who is the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., um, who confirmed me, um, was removed from the ministry and resigned from the College of Cardinals on accusations that he sexually abused teenagers and slept with seminarians. Um, it's really rare for someone to, to stop being a cardinal, and it was really problematic because it raised questions about how many people knew about it. And then um, the former people nuncio wrote a letter saying that the former pope knew about it, and it got kind of complicated. Um, and, and then the grand jury in Pennsylvania released a report detailing you know, abuse that had gone on for the past 70 years that was really troubling. Um, so it, it's really hard to know how to to think about these things, especially when they hit so close to home. Um, and, and a lot of states have also initiated their own investigations, so I think this is something we're gonna have to live with for a while. And um, it's hard to know how to do that. So, Professor Denson, do you have any, how do you make sense of all of this? Um, I don't know that make sense of it is the right word, <laughs> but at least being able to talk about it and begin to understand the background is a start toward changing, and it is all about changing the environment. Uh, the environment of the church, and the church changes very slowly, and that's not an excuse, it's a reality. But uh, I was quite moved last night when I read about Cardinal Dolan in New York, who went public and said his mother had come to him. His mother is in a senior citizen's home. And 
she said, I can't eat in the dining room anymore. Everybody knows that I'm your mother. And I'm frankly embarrassed to be a Catholic and embarrassed to be your mother. Uh, I mean, that, you know, I vividly remember when I was young and wanted to become a priest and how proud my mother was that she was going to have a son that was a priest. Well, she never quite got that. But uh, I am a Roman Catholic deacon. She was at my ordination for diaconate. And I, I'll just throw this out. Uh, a few years ago in the class I was teaching of adults, somebody asked me why I didn't go on to become a priest since I've had far more education than an awful lot of priests or maybe even most priests. And I said I wouldn't lower myself. Uh, that got me called before the bishop of the diocese where I was teaching for an explanation. And I simply said, God called me to be a deacon, and I think I'm a very good deacon, and my teaching is part of that. And for me, becoming a priest would be becoming something I don't see myself called to do. So it would be a step down for me, on top of which I don't buy into hierarchy. I'm a deacon, you're a bishop, and a priest is a priest, and they're all part of the same sacrament of holy orders. So one of the problems that is behind the crisis that we face is this sense of hierarchy and uh, you know, a structure and even the fact that I'm ordained, I've had the hands laid on me, makes me ontologically or fundamentally different than ordinary people. And uh, even within that, most people's idea that you have deacon, priest, and bishop totally messes up with the idea that there are multiple ministries and all of them are important and it's not a matter of that kind of a structure. Wait, isn't, sorry, isn't being a nun part of holy orders? No. Women are lacking something that the church <laughs> says is absolutely necessary uh, in order to receive the sacrament of holy orders. Uh, I really believe that's going to change. I think it's atrocious theology, but uh, e eventually I believe that will change. Um, maybe in my lifetime, maybe not. Uh, I'm getting, I'm 73, so uh, uh, more likely not in my lifetime. But I do believe it will change because I believe the Holy Spirit is present in the church. And women can model and be the presence of God just as well as any man. And it's not a matter of the physique that makes the difference. Every woman is an image and likeness of God just as much as every man is. And a woman can be the presence of God and the fact that the church does not let women exercise authority, priestly ministry, the church is the poorer for it, and the church is really missing out on the image and likeness of God that women have to offer. And that's all part of the problem that brings us to this point. Do you think that that would... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that would completely solve the problem to have no, women ordained? Not by itself. Uh, for one thing, it's all too easy for women to get into power and try and exercise power the way men do. And what we need is a new way of thinking about power and exercising power. And that ha very much has to do with what it means to be human. That one thing that is radically different about the Bible is in all of the other ancient religions that have creation stories and all, the gods create politicians, kings, and clergy. And then 
after a few days, the politicians and the clergy begin to complain to the gods that there's too much work to do and it's too hard. And it's at that point the gods create ordinary schmucks <laughs> to do the work so that politicians and clergy can do whatever it is that politicians and clergy do, which we're still trying to figure out <laughs> and all. The Bible, there's many creation stories in the Bible, but every creation story in the Bible, the God, God of the Bible begins by creating ordinary people and politicians, kings, presidents, whatever, and clergy come later as servants of the people. But in the Bible, typical of the way the world works, the politicians and clergy begin to elevate themselves above and the religion, the church, becomes very much like the way the ordinary world works uh, as opposed to what I would suggest the Bible wants to be the structure that, you know, uh, you begin with the people and the politicians and the clergy rise from the people as servants of the people. That's an ideal, but it is very hard, you know, in terms of living out. So, so let's just imagine, let's say you're the pope. <laughs> how, can, how can we take that and actually, like, implement change? Uh, it would take several days even, <laughs> but you know, a lot of things need to fundamentally change. The, you know, the, uh, just as a vivid example, you have St. John Bellarmine, who was a cardinal back at the time of Galileo. And he was the one that presided over the trial of Galileo, condemning him for heresy by saying, you know, the telescope shows that the earth goes around the sun and all. As opposed to all the solar system going around the earth. Yeah, the, the earth, yeah. The earth is the center of the universe and humans on the earth are the center of all, you know, it's all about, and then of course the clergy are up above all the people and all. And you know, Gal Galileo's findings fundamentally challenged all of that. It, you know, it took over 400 years for the church to apologize for almost burning Galileo alive for just pointing out what he was seeing through a telescope. You know, about 60 years after Galileo died, a pope looked through the telescope and he said, you know, Galileo may have been right, but it still took several hundred years. You know, when the church is wrong, it can be really wrong, and it can be wrong for a long time and all. The church finally apologized for what it did to Galileo about 15, 20 years ago. On the other hand, the church still holds on to the philosophy and the world view in terms of what it means to be human and totally rejecting evolution, totally rejecting the Big Bang cosmology that is currently the best answer. And, you know, maybe not the last answer, but certainly far more true than this Creation. Creation story. story that the church still holds on to and models its structure upon. And so you have an outdated structure, you have an outdated uh, philosophical view of what it means to be human, and that philosophical view of what it means to be human is androcentric, male, uh, with certain men lifted up into a caste system, 
And it, that's the system that needs to be changed. So, you know, there's an awful lot of steps in the way. And what I would do as Pope in terms of how do you begin to change that? But maybe the best thing to begin would be to revamp the College of Cardinals with most of it being lay people and not privileged uh, rich people and all, but a, a process that had ordinary people as advising with real input that would be listened to in terms of how the church ought to be structured and governed, and including men and women, and definitely not letting men make decisions for women about what's right and wrong, because you know so many of the church's rules about sex and all, all fall heavily on women, uh, and just looking at the sex abuse crisis. You know, the church that gets to tell women no contraception and the bishops that enforce that and whether it's abortion or whatever. But at the same time, overlooking, forgiving, transferring priests from one place to another, uh, at the same time, uh, just is absolute nonsense. And um, in, the same, in the same respect, the, the same bishops that would want a divorced and remarried Catholic refuse communion to that divorced and remarried Catholic but then take a priest who has a history of abusing children and accepting his story that he's reformed. And yeah, there is a possibility of reform, but it is hard and difficult. But transferring that priest to another parish where he's gonna to continue to celebrate Eucharist and at the same time turn away people because a marriage didn't work out and all. Again, uh, So would you get rid of the bishops? No, not necessarily. But I would certainly have the bishops elected from the congregations, from the people over whom, you know, and it may be not election, but certainly much more advice from what I will say lay Catholics, and I'd like to get rid of the, the, the real distinction between lay and ordained, uh, uh, at least the, the rigid distinction that somehow I have something that you don't have, and just because I had the hands laid on me, that uh, you know, that gives me a special authority, and you have to do what I say, and all. You know, that whole mindset, uh, you know, that environment is what has led to the situation that we have, both in terms of, and it's not, yeah. The difficulty is that it, you know an awful lot of attention is coming on specifically on priests, but sexual abuse of minors or pedophilia is something that has nothing to do with the sexual orientation of the individual, and you have married men that are, uh, you know, all of the psychological studies of who it is that is a pedophile, it, uh, uh, it's very easy to say what people want to hear and scapegoat and turn it into that it is homosexuals and whatever, but that just covers, even hides the problem even more and all. But on the other hand, because priests are put up on a pedestal and given this exalted status and so on, it gets all the more publicity when it's out, when it comes out. And then you, know, you have the structure of the church that really uh, sins when it ignores the voice of the victims in order to protect the good name of the church. And so, you know, uh, I'm a biblical scholar and the Bible in, in the Gospel according to John, you have Caiaphas, the high priest, announcing that it is expedient 
it is better that one man die than that the whole nation, in essence, the religion, be destroyed. And, and the one man is, is And he's Jesus. talking about Jesus. Uh, that idea of expediency. Of kind of protecting the institution yeah. over protecting the people. And that's exactly what the bishops did in terms of covering up and transferring priests and all. Exactly the same sin of expediency. Uh, and so, you know, you want a comparison whether, you know, you have people like Cardinal Whirl, who, by the way, last night asked the Pope to accept his resignation, which is a nice way of saying he resigned and all. But uh, over and over again, uh, you know, he covered up what should have been obvious that you don't do. And Caiaphas, knowing Jesus is innocent, decides, you know, it's expedient. We can do without that. So in that sense, what Caiaphas did to Jesus is the same thing as what the bishops are doing to the victims of sexual abuse in terms of ignoring, ignoring them. And you know, this gets back to where I started with Cardinal Dolan and his mother. You know, I'm embarrassed to be your, your mother. I'm embarrassed to be a Catholic. And a legitimate question is, why do I stay Catholic? Why do I stay a minister in the church? And I think it's a valid question, and I, can't, I cannot be upset or blame any victim that would say, you're insisting on staying in the church, you know, really troubles me. Uh, I think I should be troubled. On the other hand, I also have the wonderful example in the Bible constantly, and this may not be the answer. I'm not offering it as an answer for the victims or whatever in terms of do you stay with the church or not. But in the Bible, in the Gospel according to Luke, and in Acts of the Apostles, even after Caiaphas had been responsible for turning Jesus over to the Romans and having him executed, the followers of Jesus continue to go to the temple every day and pray with, you know, they don't leave the church or what, you know, they don't leave the religion, they continue to participate. And in Acts of the Apostles, 20, 30 years after Jesus' death, you still have the believers of Jesus going to the temple and participating in the services and the ritual and all. And so, uh, like we just have to kind of stick it out? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a matter of sticking it out, but there is more to the church than the bishops. There is more to the church than the clergy. The people, the church is the people of God. And what keeps me there is that it is the people of God and the fact that some have you know, betrayed what should have been obvious in terms of expediency or trying to protect the, the name of the church over the victims themselves over the good of the people as a whole uh, can't unchange that. Uh, I don't believe my leaving would necessarily make a difference. Uh, I would much rather be in the church and be up here in front of a group like this and saying, this is where I stand. And I'm, my attitude is always, the church can try and kick me out, but I'm not going anywhere. Uh, uh, Why would they kick you out? <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I mean, the environment very much was you do what you're told. 
and the environment was very much that those above you know better than you. And I'd say, if anything, the longer I've been around, the more I know that that is not necessarily true. On the other hand, I don't know everything, and I've got an awful lot to learn, and the older I get, the more I figure out that I have to learn. So I'm not saying I've got the answers. All I'm saying is you've got to keep asking the questions, and the questions will lead to better responses and eventually to change. And so I very much appreciate that people question, and specifically, why do you stay in the church? Why do you stay Catholic? Uh, one is, no matter where I went, it's always going to be a human. The church is a human organization, maybe inspired by God, I believe it was, but on the other hand, it's still made up of humans, and humans make mistakes and errors. Uh, that doesn't change the hurt of the victims. I, I do think that various bishops that have covered up, that now maybe realize they're wrong, or else basically they've got to realize that they can no longer govern, and people are not going to listen to them. Their moral authority is gone. So it is important that they step down. Uh, What's going to be most important, though, is that those that come up in their place, if you don't change the attitude, we'll be back in the same place. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather be here pushing for the change, and I haven't got all that many years left. I'd like to think I've got another 20 years, but I don't control that <laughs> and all. Uh, but uh, you know, questions and challenges are important, and I think there is a place for people outside throwing rocks at the church. There's people place for people inside challenging. There's pe place for prophets standing halfway on the line, one foot in, one out, and you need all of that. Yeah, that that's a really good transition because we, well, we we could probably talk for usually when we record, we record for like three three or four hours, and I edited it down to thirty minutes, so we definitely don't don't have enough time. But if if anyone does does anyone have a question that that they want to, or a rock that they want to throw, or a <laughs> prophecy, you can come up and, and chime in right here at this microphone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have five minutes. Yeah. If you could just introduce yourself first. Hi, my name is Katie Fox. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, I have a question. So my question goes from, I guess, um, the perpetuation of the patriarchy in the church. Um, and I know that obviously our church comes from um, Judaic roots and Jesus is Jewish. Um, and it, But my question is, Miriam was one of the first prophetesses Except and, the Bible says prophet, not prophetess. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So she was a prophet, um, and she was recognized as an authority. So where, how have we gone from that and spiraled to what is clearly now, as you said, the one thing that women are missing, mm -hmm. male anatomy, um, in order to be ordained? How did we go from that, that she's recognized as a prophet, to where we are today, where women have no power and they're not even laid on hands to be a nun. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Good question. Now, yes, Miriam is recognized as a prophet. And if you read carefully, that's about the only recognition she gets. And an awful lot of men 
realizing that that passage is there would say, oops, that was a mistake, that it got left in. Because Katie's most, shaking her head now. <laughs> most biblical scholars would say that at, there were at least three traditions of who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. One of them was Moses, and that's the one that wins. Another was that it was Joshua, or maybe another one that it was Aaron. But there was another tradition that it was Miriam. And I never the, knew that. At the, at the singing of the Song of the Sea, after the Egyptians got drowned uh, in the sea, you have that it is Miriam that begins the song with the tambourine and all. But you have the whole song just before that is the song of Moses. Most biblical scholars would say that originally that was entirely Miriam's song, and there is a whole tradition that got left out and excluded. Now that's just one example of many in the Bible that are wrinkles that suggest originally there were many more stories about significant women uh, that because you're in a male-oriented society and because it's men telling the story and ultimately it's men doing the editing and writing. And I happen to believe the Bible's inspired and the Holy Spirit's behind it. And the Holy Spirit made, that there, made sure that all these little, like the mention of Miriam as a prophet, get left in as a reminder. Well, and as a reminder, too, that probably the truth is that they all helped get them out of Egypt mm -hmm. and, like, it's not a competition yeah. or a... Yeah. Right? So that yeah. we... That... We are out of time so quickly, um, but we'll definitely come back next year, and you can hear from us again. I know everyone's faces look sad. Do you, do you have any last, last mm -hmm. thoughts? Oh. Uh, I would just say uh, I cannot blame anybody that would want to leave the church. Uh, you know, if the church is not feeding you, not providing the answers, find some place that does, uh, and I really mean that. And God is not fixed on specifically the Catholic Church in terms of salvation or not salvation. Go to where you are fed. On the other hand, I honestly believe there is still much in the church that can feed, and we do need people challenging and raising the questions. And uh, uh, yeah, the history of the Bible is constantly that people ra that raised questions and bugged their preachers for answers led to the creation of better answers. And it takes an awful lot of time, and we are part of a process, and we don't get all the answers. And you know, uh, I keep telling my students, I'll, you may like what I'm saying, but 15 years from now, when I'm gone, you're going to be learning new things, and you're going to wonder how he come he was so dumb and didn't know all this <laughs> Never. stuff back then. <laughs> and all. So uh, I very much believe in staying and being part of the process and guiding the process and pushing the process uh, as opposed to leaving, but I certainly can't come down on anybody that just says, this doesn't work for me. And if it doesn't work, don't stay. Thank Yeah, thank you. And thank you again for joining us and to the Baltimore Podcast Festival and the Crown for having us. We'll see you soon.